This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, where we do a post-mortem on the YRR. In this cold time of year, we do a winsomely. I am your host, Matt, and I am joined by Pastor Michael. Welcome back. I'm here to be winsome, here to, uh, you know, uh, keep milking this cash cow. <laughs> the Mars Hill podcast. We are- uh, I see, Matt, that you have an R on your sweatshirt i just assume that's for resurgence oh yeah i man that's a great thing to point out to all of our listeners we would love to see our pictures of you in your resurgence the resurgence gear if that ever existed and i would like to get some if it did exist. yeah old school yrr merch we would love to start a collection of this stuff that you've got it and you want to send us even just a picture would be great yeah so we are uh discussing the resurgence and the YRR merch because we are returning again to the evergreen content tree of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And we are now on to the episode, the brand, which is an episode that feels a a bit lower key after the pretty intense episodes about gender. Yep. I don't think we'll be saying a lot of the time today, man, that is really difficult or this is difficult to say or deal with. No, today instead, I will be um, speaking far above my pay grade and claiming to know more about branding than Christianity Today and Mike Cosper, the people producing one of the most successful Christian branded social media content ever. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited for this kind of uh, uh, very confident take. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's what is... It's what's going to happen. <laughs> there's no other way to do it. Uh, and so as we talk through this episode, The Brand, this is actually going to become two episodes, not because there was uh, so much in this episode, like the ones on gender, that we need to really take a huge amount of space. But there is about a 15-minute kind of excerpt of this podcast where Mike Cosper with Colin Hansen, the writer of the Young Restless and Reform, who's now the main editor of TGC, walk through their understanding of the history of the YRR movement. So we are going to do that as a separate episode because, again, those people are probably never going to do an interview with us. And so this will but be... maybe. I'm, not, I'm still holding out hope. All right. Well, <laughs> Pastor Michael, b- love believes all things and hopes <laughs> all things. So, But we are going to get right into this episode on branding and we're going to have a probably a somewhat in-depth conversation about uh the nature of the internet uh the nature of christian celebrity and and how mars hill uh fit into that pastor michael are you looking forward to it i really am uh i'm also just interested to learn a bit more about brand so that we can uh really boost the restless brand that's right And so I think one thing, as we always say with this, you need to remember there is always a message. And I think especially in an episode like this one, where it's not clear, it it feels kind of very much like they're telling different tidbits about the internet and the YRR and things. But here's what I would summarize as the message of this episode. So the success of Mars Hill was a product of its unique opportunity and ability to use the internet to build its brand. The growing YRR movement both benefited from and propelled the Mars Hill brand, despite the warning signs of Driscoll's growing arrogance. Yeah, yeah, I think that fits really well. Um, This will tie in, by the way, to uh, some of the things that we've already talked about in the past about uh, things like celebrity culture. Uh, and the you know kind of rise of celebrity culture with the internet. And so uh, if you haven't listened to that, you can go back, listen to that episode. Uh, and I think that that would be uh, really beneficial just in some of the context of some of the things that we'll probably bring up. We've probably discussed a little bit more deeply at uh, an earlier date. Yeah. And this episode is very important, especially for Pastor Michael and I, who are not ever involved with Mars Hill in Seattle, though we both visited, we are contact with Mark Driscoll, like most people, came exclusively through internet mediums. And I watched probably hundreds of hours and listened to hundreds of hours of Mars Hill music, sermons, podcasts in my time. And so this episode goes into how that happened and, and what that all meant. And, 
And it really begins with this kind of really broad question of what is the internet for? That it's a collaboration platform, not a broadcast platform. And like when it became clear that he thought it was a broad was certainly not part of the plan and not something anyone would have imagined back in the year 2000. I thought Mark looked at the internet the way I did, that it's a collaboration platform, not a broadcast platform. And like when it became clear that he thought it was a broadcast and command and control and his value of leading was command and control, I was like, oh, shit, what hath we wrought? We have enabled and platformed somebody who does not have the maturity to navigate this. So in a sense, I'm like, did I give Mark Driscoll his first hit of heroin by platforming him in the way that has killed him and like created a kind of opioid epidemic that follows him from Seattle to Scottsdale and all over the place and then gets replicated by his mini marks around that want to be like Mark, right? Thank God the grace of Jesus is ridiculous and it's all going to work out. But like I, you know, that's a that's a heavy thing to think through in, you know, a lot of the work I do these days is like, OK, how can we use these platforms for flourishing? Sorry, just the the little hit on flourishing. We need to use these platforms for flourishing. I I can't help but laugh when that is brought up. So that's the opening interview of the episode with Brian Zug, who is the person who told Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill they needed to start uploading the sermons to the internet. This is the guy who started the Mars Hill podcast in the year 2000. And listening to his interview, I originally felt very critical of this idea of can't the internet just be a collaborative working together? Isn't that what this is going to become? And I realize I'm saying that with complete hindsight over what the internet is and what it, and what we know it is used for at this point. But in the year 2000, the internet was what it would be used for and could be used for. And the forms that these products would take was, was totally unknown and up in the air. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about the ideals of what could be. Um, and even maybe a warning for us as we think about, uh, you know, technology that's now, you know, being utilized more and more, the things that we use and like what, oh, what it could be used for. Um, often that's not going to be what uh, it is actually going to be used for. Um, so we really need, uh, you know, uh, probably a heavy dose of amusing ourselves to death, Neil Postman, right. and understanding that they're, you know, and Marshall McLuhan, like the idea that, you know, the medium is the message that they're like certain mediums like the internet are actually like there's, there's a limited range uh, for what they can be used for, at least helpfully. And uh, we need to be aware of that moving forward. But it is, I mean, so, you know, I mean, I wanna say that there is room for the internet still to be used collaboratively. It's not purely broadcast. I would say there's a heavy emphasis on broadcast. This is why content creation, this is, you know, what literally what we are doing right now, right? We are broadcasting ourselves out into the world by this microphone and and these computers and uh you know an internet link uh an internet connection and so like obviously like there's a, a primary broadcast role but you think about how you know there is a a kind of collaborative element in that you know i mean we ask for questions we ask for you know hey by the way please do uh you know uh go to youtube comment on the show send us an email like you can do that and we like to respond to those things and and you know uh uh, respond to questions, even just, you know, on, on Facebook or wherever. Um, however, the way that this primarily works, I mean, even, even him thinking, Hey, let's start putting our sermons up online. I can't imagine thinking this is like, a, a kind of collaborative thing. I, I, that is what I was going to say. That's the one point I don't understand posting this podcast and posting sermons is inherently a broadcast medium. Right. And now, now is a new broadcast medium. And we do really like that we can interact with our audience in various ways, but it's still an asymmetric yes. interaction, right? No one, now we've had listeners come on, which is probably, again, obviously completely different than a sermon, but even in us responding to questions and things, right? People get to ask a question or even write a long email and we get to say, 
as much as long as we want to talk yeah. about it. And and I do think this the right the one point when we when we look at these these tools which he mentioned right did I did I just platform this guy who was not ready for it? Again, it's it's the idea. This is why amusing ourselves to death is good. This is why even Luddite people, people who kind of reject technology, there there is a logic working there, which is which most of us, because we live in this area, this time of complete progress of technology, we can't, we are never looking for the downsides and we are never imagining, well, what possibly, where will this technology go? We don't understand, what most of us don't take time to understand is we literally have, we don't think about that we have no idea what this technology will become. Yeah, right. No, it's a great warning. When the, Man, when the cell phone warning. comes out, nobody thinks, uh, 10 years, 20 years later, it's going to be the main way you do everything in your life. Yeah. Right. And now that the metaverse comes out, run for the hills, friends, <laughs> hide forever. And so I do think that this, again, is this is the idea that it actually takes because these are tools, all tools take some degree of maturity to use. Yeah. Not again, right. And a, simply an understanding of what yes, they are for. Exactly. Right? So there's that, you know, a hammer can be used for some things. But the minute that you start trying to use a hammer for something it is not made for, if you take a screw and you start pounding away with a hammer, it might work, you know, like it, it you might be able to get right. it to work kind of, but it's actually going to do much more damage than not. It's not made for that. That's not its purpose. And so having like an understanding of telos is really important in these things. And sometimes that's hard with a new technology. Yes. You can't always see where it's going to lead. And so you have to proceed with caution. And it seems like that was not done. Right. But I would like to say to this uh, this guy, thank you for posting Mark Triscoll's MP3s to the internet. Yeah, they were so helpful yeah, to they me. They benefited us tremendously. They benefited many people tremendously. Yeah, even though there was a lot of fall, and I think that that maybe this is the time. I've been telling Pastor Michael when I was listening to this, I texted him that I think this episode protesteth a little too much. Right. This guy just kind of even here in the clip of the guilt he has for for doing this. And then he's like, you know, in the grace of Jesus, it'll all be OK. Right. And we get later in the episode where we have the Enneagram guy on here talking about how people who know they can't be a narcissistic leader attach themselves it for meeting. And, you know, that 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 there was kind of it kind of like overly we'll say it it makes everything overly sinister to the fact that the final analogy of what was going on of people getting in line behind Driscoll is compared to that picture in Nazi Germany where the one guy won't put up his arm. Yeah. It just, this is what happens when like there, there's no other analogy that you can use on the internet except <laughs> yeah. for Nazis. Right. So it always has to come right. to Nazis. So Mars right. Hill was like the Nazis. So you're right. They lost the argument according yeah. to that. <laughs> right. Role, which is, yep. So I, I just think that, Gen Z, they just must no Gen Gen X, sorry. Gen X. Gen X must just like to feel bad. Yeah. Because this episode is just full of people feeling bad about ever using cameras to record Mark Driscoll. Yeah, I can't believe we ever did that. It makes sense. Like, why, you know, like it makes sense that you would try to do that, uh, yeah. especially at that time. You're just, I mean, you're trying to figure this out and and it did get a lot of beneficial material in people's hands. Yeah. Did it also come with negative side effects? Sure. Yes. Yep. Did it like, did, did the projecting of the truth come alongside the projecting of sinful statements and behaviors and, and things like that? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And so I think that, again, this is the, the, it is this, I mean, Pastor Michael and I are the confessionally reformed people. We're supposed to be the black and white people right? That we only see things one way or the other. But this is just this kind of weird black and white thinking where everything, this is all bad or all good. Whereas, as Pastor Michael just said, we can be very thankful that the truth was broadcast widely and understand that due to immaturity, due to character issues, this went bad, nope. right? But, but that you would you would feel bad about uploading an MP3 for a pastor that, whose ministry you found helpful because later it became an out of control mess. Yeah. What's really interesting about this is, you know, you're lamenting using the internet to project 
these things later on, but you're doing that on right. a podcast being broadcast to the internet. And the reality is there are almost zero churches that I know of that do not currently broadcast their sermons in one way or another, whether that be by YouTube or an MP3 or something or a podcast or something. And so like, okay, you know, maybe we could say that that's wrong. Um, I don't think so, but, uh, and that's, you know, maybe that's just because I do it. <laughs> and right. so I don't want to say it's wrong. Um, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about that, but it just, it seems like it is just, it, it's just overkill. It's trying yeah. to uh, go after Mars Hill for something that is not, it's not actually the problem. Right. It, it is where a lot of problems manifest, right? Yeah, you maybe but, see it more or something like that. Again, and that's what the internet is for, right? So the internet is as a medium, uh, really thrives a lot of the time on hyperbole and on dramatizing, like even over dramatizing everything, which is the same with, you know, like on camera, right? When you're on camera, when you're being, being, uh, uh, recorded in some way, or even when you're doing a podcast, for instance, there are ways that you have to communicate in a more dramatic fashion, because that's how people, that's what people listen to. That's what they're used to. This is, that's how you communicate on this medium. This is just the dead air principle of radio and of podcast yeah. that uh, in a normal conversation, a moment of silence might be appropriate and feel natural in listening to something, no matter what it does not. Part of me feels like we should have just a moment of silence now and just leave it quiet. That's enough. <laughs> so you bring up a great point, though, that all churches now broadcast themselves on the Internet. This is kind of the second section of this podcast, which I found a little bit strange. He talks about Robert Schuler and how Robert Schuler really had to work his way up to celebrity, starting from nothing and, and becoming this, this worldwide sensation. One, I do not know why we are painting him in a positive light, really at all. Yeah. And two, what it is overall is describing these gatekeepers that existed in Christian publishing, that existed on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which is viewed as... A, at least somewhat positively, but that there was suddenly the internet broke through and allowed this kind of wild west, anyone can try to become a celebrity, right? And it even said, and this is where, even with our last conversation, he said, everyone, this became the broadcast yourself time, talking about how Justin Bieber became famous through this. And all these examples, Drudge Report, which again, degrades the uh, the the grace I was just offering them for not really knowing this was all about broadcasting yourself, since all the examples are of people broadcasting bro themselves. finding this new way to broadcast themselves yeah. and and propel themselves to outrageous fame. But the thing that got me as I listened to this this morning, while I was raking some leaves, actually, is it it feel feels a bit like there is a a mourning the lack of the ability to gatekeep the internet, this kind of new, this new way of, of putting things out there. Interesting. So pastor Michael, what are, what are the, what are the benefits? What are the downsides of this, of this new, of this way that, that propelled uh, Driscoll to the spotlight. And that frankly allows us to make this podcast. What are, what are the positives and benefits that have existed with this? Well, they're definitely positives. And um, just that like, you said like th there is an ability to uh, reach people that you may not otherwise be able to. And I, I think that that can be really good. It can also have some negatives. And so I don't want to just uh, say it's all good. So for instance, if you read uh, again, going back to Neil Postman, if you read, I, I'm thinking about Neil Postman in part because the last over the last year, I read a lot of Neil Postman. Mm. So he's on my mind a lot. And I kind of see the world a little bit more through his eyes. And uh, he, points out that, you know, one of the things that happened with the onset of the telegraph is that all of a sudden there's, there's no such thing as just like local news or like local mm. information. Like when I find out something, it's not just about like the people that live around me. It's like, I, I learned something about somebody who got murdered in a city that I've literally never been to. And that is just, it is a contextless piece of like factoid. Mm. And uh, that like, there's no, what I would call it is there's no actionable material 
involved. Mm. And so like, there's no like seeming benefit except for entertainment. And that's ultimately what it is. It's, it's entertainment. It's a way to occupy your mind and your time um, that is not necessarily beneficial in, in any particular way. Which as a sidebar also makes sense why Driscoll's brand of preaching works so well on this medium because he self-consciously was entertaining. Yeah, it was, it was meant to be entertaining. And so like, because that is the primary, like, you know, thing that can be broadcast uh, is this kind of entertainment. It like, it just naturally uh, worked that way. Uh, so, but like, just so I want to make sure our, our listeners are clear. Neil Postman is writing about this in the 1980s. Yeah, he is talking about amazing, by the way. seriously delivered news as entertainment. Yes. Right. He is not just talking about like the comedy news that most of us actually watch. Yeah, now. literally, literally or, most of us get our news from a comedian or that 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 would he, what he is saying is that that is just the um, the logical conclusion of what he saw in the 1980s with like Walter Cronkite straight news. He's saying that is entertainment. Yep. And right, that that this the fact that people in their car radios will apply to Christianity would listen to R.C. Sproul or these other teachers on the radio, even though that was that's a was handled in a very serious way. He would say because of the medium, because of how it's done, because of the lack of relationship, that is entertainment and that it is no surprise that at this point, Christian media is there is like there are brands of Christian media that are explicitly comedians and entertainment and that discipleship is that that is viewed as a really good part. You know, everyone would say that you can't do it all that way, but it's part of it. And so I just want to make, yeah, I just want to kind of underline this point you're making that Postman was. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, like that being said, like the idea of like being able to connect with people that you are not like directly physically in touch with, I'm not sure that's always a good thing, sure, but I think it can be a good thing. So for instance, with, you know, when it comes to uh, the rise of Calvinism, for instance, Mm. we believe Calvinism is true, right? It is the truth. And there was a time when the vast majority of churches in this country would never talk about it. You like most people within the YRR movement have the experience of hearing about Calvinism and then saying, I literally have never heard this before. And so when I say like being able to reach people that you might not otherwise be able to, that's really what I'm talking about is it allows the ability to uh, speak the truth into people's lives that may not in other ways be able to hear it. And that's a good thing. I I think that's a good thing. It also then allows those people to, it does allow them to connect with others that are like-minded and maybe be able to encourage them and help them in some way. It is minimal. It is limited, um, but it can be of some benefit if somebody is, you know, completely alone a wash in a sea of Arminian Baptists and they go on some kind of, you know, forum online and they can meet other people and maybe even connect in real life. Right. That's a good thing like that, that, or it can be a good thing. You know, again, it could, it, can it be problematic? Sure. But in a lot of ways, I think it can be good. Pastor Michael is one describing our relationship that led to this podcast. And, and two, he is describing the internet as the new printing press. Yes. This is exactly what was said about the printing press and is in many ways what happened with the printing press. But Luther had the printing press. Yes. Luther was not allowed through any of the normal means to get out the message of the Reformation. And and similarly with Calvinism. And this is why, while we criticize the YRR so much, we are still appreciative of it for this reason. And this is why I think no matter the the risks of people who don't know what they're talking about being able to put their voice out there, speak into things they probably shouldn't, probably should focus more on their own family, their own community. I will always support the get rid of the gatekeepers movement. Yeah, and that's the-, the other thing is that like one of the benefits is it does get around gatekeepers. And going back to what you just said about the printing press. Um, so this is uh, something that uh, I've thought about before. Um, like, so often people are like, man, you know, maybe there's some good on the internet, but look at all the trash, right? right? Look at all the trash. Therefore, like it really won't do any good. Nobody says that about the printing press and books. Right. Soren Kierkegaard did. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher, like in his diary, uh, in several different places, he talks about how horrible the world is because of the printing press, because it allowed anybody and everyone to print whatever they wanted to, instead of only being able to print what was good, basically, like only that which should be preserved. And so like, 
we can say the same thing about something like the internet. And, you know, maybe there's even uh, some more merit when you're thinking about the difference between uh, the kind of information that's often transmitted on the internet versus the written word. Yeah. I yeah. think that there could be an argument there. It's, it's, However, none of us says, I wish there weren't so many books, right? I, especially in the YRR world. How many of us, <laughs> you know, I literally came from a big book sale today right. where I just loaded up on books. Like nobody's saying, oh man, the printing press was the worst thing. I wish there weren't books, right. you know, like, no, we, it, there has been overall, there's been a great benefit because of it. Can it be taken in a bad way? Can it be used in a negative way? Yes. Yep. I mean, right. Go even go to the, the this was actually said when the written word began, when stop, things stopped being strictly oral yeah. as well. And so what we're saying is we're just bringing back to the earlier point. These are all tools that require wisdom and they're different tools and they do need to be used differently, right? The experience of a printed book is different than the internet. But Pastor Michael, do you want a hot take on gatekeepers that occurred to me while you were discussing this? I'm ready for the gatekeepers hot take. So I think most of us are realizing as the internet goes, um, as, as kind of information sources have coalesced, there's actually kind of a new group of gatekeepers writing up, arriving. Do you think Christianity today could be considered a sort of gatekeeper? Oh, man. <laughs> and, yeah. And TGC, maybe these kinds of people are maybe maybe there's a reason they're defending some of the merits of gatekeepers yeah seriously yeah um what's interesting is that you know i don't know as much uh with christianity today but for sure tgc you know as a gatekeeper are the ones that did this yeah. you know like they're the ones right. that well, let this guy out well hold on we'll get to the episode where we'll we'll play the part <laughs> where, we, in, where we uh, where we learn why they weren't the ones who did this so i think we should discuss now um the 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 thing they describe as the success of the branding what allowed them to be a success in the branding of mars hills online content and and there's people kind of uh, who seem a little baffled about it that there wasn't really a plan early on that some of these things fell together my based on what i heard and my own experiences i think driscoll i don't think driscoll planted in seattle to become a internet hit I think Driscoll literally was just providentially in the place where he was exposed to lots of up and comers in the tech and entertainment business. Yeah. And that caused him to, and again, the, the, the mediums he had a, available to him, I do think had shaping influences not, on how not things so were like a lot of these people probably like Robert Schuler or others who like are in the area where, you know, they're not too far from right. Hollywood he's, and yeah, he's in things. LA, right. Yeah. He's right there. Yeah. And so I think that that is, is really that, again, I, I think that there could be, we, we probably won't do it. I think there could be a wider discussion of, of, of how do we actually apply providence to stories like this? Because I think that's one thing they don't do. But what is the thing about branding that they thought was success? They said that the branding at Mars Hill for the, the sermon series and how they did this was inherently reactionary. And this is where I'm going to claim to know more about branding than them. I think they're actually 100% backwards on this. And I, and I, but I agree with kind of why they said it was a success. They said at the time, growing churches in America had really what we now view as really lame ways to advertise sermon series. Jesus, the real Superman, right? Pastor Michael, I'm sure you have a million examples of the kinds of bad, lame, oh, topical bad titles. Oh, yeah, totally. You can send us your favorite. And what Driscoll and this, this team of shockingly 60 people in the end, right? That is wild. Running, I heard that. That was crazy. That like, is you know, just coming from like a what is a an average size church in America. I was like, you have 60 people running your media department yep. as a church. That's nuts. Yeah. And they said what we valued in the department was clarity over creativity clarity over creativity. So let's write that down for the restless podcast, because apparently yeah. <laughs> that's a key to success. So what they said is what we need to do instead of creating these like things that will inherently date themselves, uh -huh. these, these, you know, the, with these topical, this kind of current cultural trend, we should just create sermon series that are titled things like Genesis and maybe a subtitle. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, and and acts and these kinds of things. And so so it's not based around like some of the latest fats, which will go out of 
trend in a year or two. Yeah, theoretically, this will last, you know, longer. And they said that that in the end really helped with their SEO rankings, which makes sense. And this is why I believe this is like inherently not reactionary. They're saying that this kind of branding was a reaction against the kind of evangelical attempts at like kind of borrowing culture. I actually think Driscoll and the church, and and I think this is just so important. I actually think they were legitimately creating culture. And that's why this whole thing was so sticky. Mm. They weren't, they weren't trying to like hop on a trend. They were creating, right. They said the message, the title needs to come from the text. They were attempt for better or worse. They were building their own thing from the ground up. Yeah. And, and I think that's what made it sticky. And of course, with sermon titles like that, Pastor Michael and I, young Christians coming to the YRR, I want to grow in my faith. And I look up for new sermons. I see Jesus, the real Superman or Genesis, 63 sermons. Yep. Which am I going to be attracted right. <laughs> to? Yeah, any day, any day you're going to the Genesis, right? Exactly. And so I think that this branding, which again, they said it was even somewhat accidental where this was Driscoll maybe at what we might call his most collaborative saying, yeah, let's try that. Yeah, you do that. Yeah, yeah. we'll get you the whatever you need to try, whatever you want. That in itself is an interesting comment that, you know, one of the focuses here is that Driscoll is like, you know, this kind of maniacal uh, power hungry guy. And it seems that that is absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not, yep. you know, as we often say, we're not completely defending Driscoll here. Right. However, um, it does. What's interesting just to say is that when the church seemed to thrive the most, it at least seems to have started off as something where it was very like delegatory. Hey, yes. you're good at this. Go. That's go ahead. Like you do that part of right. this thing for the church. Now, should the church have an entire media team? I'm just going to say no. Probably not. Uh, but like if there's like a young man, like if there's a young guy in my church right now who was like, hey, like I'm good with the internet, you know, building websites. I'm good at YouTube, those sorts of things. Can I just start putting this stuff up and getting it out there? I'm probably going to say, yeah, that yeah. actually sounds like a great thing. Like yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah. I think they were building actual culture, which is why there was pretty fresh music coming out of there. Why everything felt like very legitimate and real. And so I, I actually think the Mars Hill approach of cultural engagement was actually culture building in ways that that is one of the things that made it a phenom that almost no other place was able to reproduce. Let's play our next clip. It's about this guy. It's incredibly disorienting. We were in London and Mark had sold out like Royal Albert Hall, which is this really fancy like place. And um, at the end of the perform or the show or sermon or whatever, like we were at uh, back a house and we got in the taxi cab and that, you know, the taxis in London, you have like jump seats where they look at each other. So like, it was Mark and my friend and then myself and I was sitting in the jump seat with the taxi driver behind me and there was these guys outside of the venue and they wanted Mark's autograph and to take a picture with him like at the back door almost like fans right and we hop in there and I looked at it Mark and I said how crazy is that those dudes are trying to get your autograph and a photo I mean you're just a pastor and he looked at me and he said, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but I'm kind of a big deal. I thought he was quoting Anchorman. So I started laughing and I looked at my friend who was next to him and he and he shook his head like he was dead serious. And he shook his head like, dude, he's not joking. And Mark wasn't joking. And I was like, oh, man, we're in trouble. Oh, man, we're in trouble. By the way, Pastor Michael and I are willing to sign autographs. <laughs> Um, uh, if you'd like a autographed restless sticker, we'd love to, to oblige you. So pastor Michael, we just heard the clip of what all of this internet success kind of started to do to Driscoll. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, I don't know stories like this. I'm always like, I don't know. There's, there's always two sides. Yep. Right. And that literally does sound like the kind of thing that somebody would say it's, I put it this way. It's hard for me to believe that somebody with any amount of like self-awareness, self-awareness, which I think Driscoll had a lot of, 
yes that he would say that un like just you know not joking and just be this like obvious arrogant fool obviously like over time that might happen and maybe yeah. in this moment maybe that's true you know maybe he gets done with this thing and in a moment of kind of like uh just total honesty of where his heart is at because he's tired or exhausted and he just went through this awesome stuff where like people really want to see him maybe he says that it just seems it just is one of those things that i hear these stories i'm like okay i don't know i'm not gonna put a lot of stock into it however when you do think about what uh, like fame or something like that could do to somebody like when if somebody just gave you the c- case study of driscoll and they were like hey there's this guy he's just a pastor but like over time like he became literally like a worldwide phenomenon selling all these books and like 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 had crazy numbers as far as those people listening to him and could literally go to a place and sell it out like people would pay to go see this guy and, and if you told me that without naming driscoll without naming anybody and you were like uh, like, guess what happened? Like, was it, was it good for him or bad? <laughs> sure. I'm just, like, it's obvious it's going to be bad. Like right. it just, that will destroy your soul, especially if it happens really quickly. You know, anytime it happens really quickly, th- this is going to, of course, that's going to cause problems. It should, it should take you some time. Like it did for Robert Schuler. Yeah. That's much, <laughs> that turns out much better. I think <laughs> I, I agree. And I think that this is where the podcast gets into the kind of characterizing Driscoll as a kind of textbook narcissist, like a semi-abusive narcissist. And they start going through these different uh, components of the narcissist personality and what's really problematic about it. And again, a lot of it is true. That, and that's why we included that clip so that you can hear for what it's worth, how he's speaking. But there's one clip of Driscoll in this show that I that they include in this section of of kind of proof of Driscoll's semi-abusive behavior that I really want to get Pastor Michael's reaction to. And so we are going to listen to Driscoll uh, discuss fatherhood. We'll talk about what he said, and then we will listen to one of their expert kind of analysis of it. Someone with a, some kind of psychological expertise and analyze it. And we'll see how close or far we are from them. Father wound. If you have a hunger for a spiritual dad, You'll go a long way to get it filled. When you leave, I believe Father Wound is a TM of Wild at Heart, and Father Hunger is Doug Wilson's property. So, just want to <laughs> just want to credit them appropriately. Spiritually, part of it is you feel like a father, and you feel about other people like they are the family that God has given you to take care of. These clips are from a sermon preached in March 2006 called "Power from Jesus." These are excerpts that have been clipped out because he spoke about it in several different places in the sermon. And they're useful because they're very much in line with the way Jesse and many others that I've interviewed have described Mark's use of fatherly language, both in the way he related to the church and the way he related to individual leaders in the church. As a pastor, as a Christian leader, for those of you who have led in ministry, who do lead ministries at this church, you know that you end up doing a lot of fathering. It doesn't mean that ultimately you're the father, but you do a lot of fathering. A lot of things that a dad is supposed to do. And especially with a church like this where a lot of people didn't have a dad or dad didn't do his job, a lot of what we do is actually parenting type work, fathering type work. For me, this rings so true because I feel like I have two families. I have my family at home with my five kids and a lot of diapers and drama and trauma. And then at Mars Hill, I have 5,000 diapers and additional issues to deal with and there are two families and in addition there is a burden that comes on a father that no one else feels dad sort of shoulders the load and in the church the lead pastor the founding pastor shoulders the load so pastor michael how bad is it yeah it just doesn't sound that bad to me um so let me uh be winsome about it and like kind of clarify though so um pastors are fathers in the church so like, the elders of the church are church fathers oh i mean that's literally like this is how we should think of these things right so there there is an element of truth to that but uh that does not it does not designate the same obligations and authority as you would say have in a home or uh what you would have in the like fathers in civil government right so those mm. who rule in civil government uh, and so it's like these things are going to be different. Um, the way that the Bible lays this out is different. you right. The, the authorities given, uh, the, the authority that's been given and, and, uh, what, what kind of role 
-hmm. these people play is going to be different. And when you get into like, hey, I'm the father because I'm the guy, Mm -hmm. right? You're just saying like, I'm the Pope, right? Right. I'm the, I'm the Papa. I'm the dad. Um, I'm the one in this church. And that can be extremely problematic. So I'm, you know, I'm not in any way endorsing the way that this went down in in Driscoll's situation. However, the very idea that like a, a pastor plays the role sometimes as a father, even just on a practical level, when he's talking about all these people that grew up, a lot of them without fathers or with bad fathers, like the fact that uh, a pastor might have to step in and it just in discipleship have to play a role that ideally should be played by a parent is just true. It's, yeah. it's an obvious truth. Um, like there are things that you le- are ideally supposed to learn from your parents that if you did not learn, a pastor may have to help you. That's just the reality of it. It doesn't mean that the pastor is the only person. Maybe there's another like, you know, a uh, man or woman in the church that can be a father or a mother to you. But quite literally, this is how we're commanded to think of each other in the church. We, we are literally told in First Timothy that we are supposed to think of each other as brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers. That's how we're supposed to act. That's that's the way that we're supposed to think of that. So, um, so I don't know. It just, the idea that this is like such a horrid, awful thing is... A little bit striking. This is the most vanilla clip yet. Yeah, <laughs> I could not believe. Now, what is true? I, I'll make two points. One, this this is the Bible uses this household familial language, right? First Corinthians four. I, I mean, this verse came to mind: is you may have many instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. Mm. Paul is Paul is telling the Corinthians: you've got all these people. Who, who are ready to teach you, who are excited about you, not many of them will act like a father yeah, to you. Yeah, they're not fathers to you, yeah. Paul is literally differentiating himself from people outside or other possible teachers saying, but but you know who I am. I'm, I'm your father. I am like a father to you. And I, I just think that that's so important. And I think it's a, it's a great thing for us all to remember, especially in light of the internet as we're talking about it. If you think, wow, Pastor Michael and Matt, sometimes they say things that I find helpful. We're not fathers to you. Yep. There are real fathers to you in the in in your own parents and and people, pastors in the church, right? It, it is a really helpful distinction. And it drives me crazy. Again, this is the like the idea that some fathers are abusive makes fatherhood bad. Right. That that literally is is where we are at with these kinds of clips. The fact he talks about himself as a father makes that an abusive situation. Makes it an abusive situation, which is really troubling, you know, like, and, you know, of course, are there people who like, especially in such a messed up society like we're in, are there fathers that abuse? Are there like people that all that they can think of when they think of their father is he abandoned me, he left me, he abused me, he like, you know, did inappropriate things to me. Like, is, is that what they think of? Yeah. Like there are people like that. That does not mean that fatherhood in itself right. is a negative and, or bad thing. And the people who who may, because of these hurts, feel like fatherhood is inherently a bad thing, they need to be loved and cared for so that they can be free of that baggage. Yeah, and often that has to be done by fathers. Right. Again, this is such a vanilla idea. The A, a book I read a long time ago, The Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro, right? This guy's like, this guy is like golden in all the like, egalitarian Christianity. Everybody loves this guy. Totally not controversial, right? He says one of the big jobs of the church is to reparent people. You know, like this is, this is so normal. And I hope we are not witnessing this getting turned on. The other thing Pastor Michael said that I do want to jump on is because I actually think there is a confusion where we talk about the church's family. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Michael is making a very helpful, we're going to call it a two kingdoms distinction. That the authority and nature of the communion I have with the household of God is actually different in type, kind, and authority I have, you know, in regards to my own home. And I actually think that there are people who uh, try and eliminate those in yeah. ways that are and by the way, very it's just like a kind of non-denominational individualistic type church. To do that. Oh, of course. To just compress these things as if they're one. Right. The, I mean, that this, you know, when you hear it, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to use a kind of hot button example. When you hear about kind of side B Christianity, they say that people kind of say like, 
Christians need to like make them part of their family. These people have to become part of your family and right. That you owe them what you owe your family. And, and that's actually just not true. Now that doesn't mean we don't owe um, the people in our church who might be needy or friendless love communion fellowship to a much higher degree than I'm sure most of us are offering it right now. But my children and my wife, I actually know I don't have the same relationship with them that I do. And that this is an, this is an actual confusion. This is, this is the, the, the criticism again, it's always great for us to talk about this, but I probably should say again, Christianity today is not saying this is a two kingdoms mistake. They're yeah. not making that criticism. Right? right? Yeah, no. And even let me just say this. I mean, if you're listening to this and you grew up in a situation where you had really like uh, abusive or emotionally unhealthy or spiritually unhealthy homes mm. um, with, you know, either fathers or mothers, one of the beautiful, like glorious truths of the church is that you can have uh, a family in the church that maybe you did not have elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it, again, it will not be the same. This is why, even if you find like a kind of a surrogate father or mother that are like really healthy, good people that really care for you, that love you, it does not just like change the fact that you're like, oh, I guess it doesn't matter that I didn't grow up right. with a good mom or dad. No, that will affect you your whole life. Like those, those scars will be with you for the rest of your life. It just is like, that is extremely difficult, but those scars will be there. It doesn't mean you can't heal from them, but there will be scars. There will be scar tissue because of what you've gone through. Um, however, again, like you can find like a loving, uh, wonderful fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. This is one of the, the glorious benefits of the gospel. One of the glorious benefits that we have being adopted into God's family. Mm. So let's hear if Christianity Today's criticism of Driscoll's talk on fatherhood is similar to ours spiritual abuse expert, Diane Langberg. We all want a spiritual daddy. We have one, but we can't see him and he's not in the flesh right now. And, and so I think when, when the leader comes and tries to get them to stay and things like that, they feel like, okay, maybe that maybe it will be better. And so they stay. Plus they're so worn down. You can't be abused for a long time and think straight. It's just not possible. doesn't matter how smart you are. I wish everyone could have been here when Pastor Michael and I shared a knowing look over the term spiritual abuse expert. I, I think putting that clip up against what Driscoll just said is so problematic. Yeah. Not that, again, that there aren't cult-like and abusive things that happen. Right. Not that you can't use your position or authority in a church to abuse people. Obviously that happens and it does happen a lot. I mean, it, it really does, especially in a context where there is not a lot of like accountability and ecclesial authority over you, but it's still not okay right. to use that as an example of like, obviously this means that like the idea of, of fathers in the church is a negative thing. Right. And that you, you have a heavenly father. So you don't need, you don't need these earthly fathers. That is, that is so, I mean, what did Jesus even promise to those who would give up? They're like, you know, they're, they're uh, biological fathers and mothers, right? Anybody who, who leaves fathers and mothers and house and home and all of these things for my sake will gain even in this life. Yes. Far more. You know? And that's the key. He, he, it's, he doesn't, it's not something purely eschatological coming. It, he even says, in this life. Yes. And so I just think that this is a, uh, this was the thing I was most interested in talking about. I just think it's dangerous and, and concerning really. So the, the next section of this podcast is this long excursus on the YRR movement and Driscoll's involvement is actually not emphasized that much. They kind of describe it all with Colin Hansen and some other friends we're going to do that as its own separate episode, but let's go to a clip where it talks about, so why would all these really great guys like Colin Hansen and uh, Mark Dever and, you know, Joshua Harris, that old friend, why would they embrace old, old friend of the podcast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why, why would they all embrace him? And so let's, let's listen to what they say. Jesse Bryan and his team have been getting the communications apparatus built up and aligned so that the messaging and, frankly, the marketing of Driscoll is getting better and better. 
The result is that Driscoll and Mars Hill have an entirely different reach and audience than anyone before, and he's consistently charting number one in religion for both his podcasts and his YouTube pages. As I see it, that creates a kind of double incentive for older leaders, like the ones at TGC, to wrap their arms around Mark. Here's Joshua Harris's take. Oh, Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll in particular was a super hot topic. I mean, he was a rock star. It was like there was so much momentum, there was so much excitement, and I think some confusion around, whoa, how do we how do we control this rocket fuel? Like we we want to help him. We also want to benefit from the rocket fuel. We also want to be careful that we don't endorse something that's not good. So, I mean, I remember CJ was just like so like kind of warning me away from identification with, you know, Driscoll. And I was invited out to, to speak there and ended up doing that. But I went there and I like spoke a message called humble orthodoxy where I was definitely trying to like add this voice of, hey, we should also be like compassionate and, you know, gracious and, and so on. So there was this there was this jockeying for influence and so on. And Driscoll was just like so powerful, you know, so he just sucked up the the oxygen and in, you know, any place that he went. But they were these older guys that were trying to behind the scenes influence and counsel and and try to protect the this broader movement. So there was definitely this sense of we're all connected to something really important and we need to be elder statesmen and kind of make sure that we're looking out for these younger guys. We we can't just write them off, but we also don't want, you know, them to to flame out, which many of us did. <laughs> Thanks wow. Joshua Harris for that wow. wisdom. <laughs> yeah, wisdom from uh I don't so, know. So sorry for the times you may have heard me laugh. The the reason I am is cuz it's obviously well known and I know there's a full interview with Joshua Harris coming. Josh, we'd love to have you on the show. I don't know how our interview would go, but I'm sure it'd be a wild time. Uh, the reason I laughed is because uh, Joshua Harris has openly apostatized uh, from the faith. And yeah, so very publicly and wants to help others do the same. And wants know. to help the others do the same. So, so Joshua Harris um, is not someone whose opinion is kind of a neutral, like let's really get, you know, a, a, a good view though. I do think what this clip points out, the claim is that these wiser leaders, though, you know, CJ Mahaney, you know, well, you know, that guy's out too, right? What they were seeing is they both wanted to benefit from it and thought they could lead it. That this guy, this guy's charting number one on everything. Maybe the, the, the most like beneficial toward them, like uh, deferent toward those who were trying to do this might even be to say they maybe didn't think, hey, I'm going to get a lot out of this. Some of them no doubt did. There's probably some of them that actually thought, hey, if I can help to guide this young man, that could have tremendous impact for the kingdom of God. By the way, like what they were trying to do is called fathering. Right. <laughs> you know, uh -oh. I just want to like, you know, point that out after uh, the discussion about how bad that is, what they were trying to do. And I, I feel like that's even painted in like an okay light. Like they, like, it's not good that some of them tried to hitch their way into this guy and like benefit from this fame. Um, but the, the most, like, again, the, the best reading that I can think of of this is there were some guys who actually cared, cared about Driscoll, cared about the church, cared about the broader, just like evangelism in general. They wanted right. the kingdom of God to expand and they wanted more people to know Jesus. And they thought this is, this has tremendous potential for that. Maybe they even thought lots of young guys like us are listening to this guy. Yeah, so, right. So, so Pastor Michael, I think that that is a, is a plausible read for some of them. Obviously, everyone who is just like, get me on that fame train, right? That's obviously negative. But Pastor Michael, you are, you're a young leader. You are a young leader in a, in a church and a session and in a presbytery. How would you describe the, the attitude towards young leaders like yourself? And, and, and yeah, if you can. Yeah, I guess it's kind of broad. Um, I'm not sure exactly where to take that, but um, you know, I've been very well cared for. I have, uh, you know, a senior pastor in our church who's, uh, you know, a father, literally a father to me, and you know, in in the spiritual sense, and and you know, cares for you know me and just the long term ministry that you know I might have that he you know helped to uh, uh, guide and benefit that maybe as some you know thought for others. Except we have a real relationship. You know, it's not just this weird like you know, hey, there's this connection through, 
some kind of ambiguous groups and blogs and like we're not sh sure how we like relate we don't really have any ecclesial authority over each other nope this is like this is within the ecclesial authority structure mm. uh, of our church um, now because i'm presbyterian i mean we we are you know the word that we like to use often of of presbyterianism is that's connectional in that like it it requires that you be regularly involved with other men in the church yeah you know fathers and brothers in the church those who are who are much older and wiser and those who are you know just coming up and you're involved with all of it right you meet regularly as a presbytery you you are you know when you are uh, ordained when you go through that which you you are you are currently uh, experiencing is like the the process is one where there are many different men who are like engaged in challenging you in helping to equip you and helping train you in helping test you in various ways. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, my experience has been great in that, you know, having, uh, you know, those who are older and wiser come and, you know, kind of help shepherd and, and care for me. And I would say the the two things that seem very different about, you know, what is portrayed here, which again, we can only, know what is portrayed by Joshua Harris right. and Mike Cosper. <laughs> yes. So so no shade to to these people that is literally in this case undeserved, right? I'm not going to care much about Joshua Harris Joshua Harris's criticisms of them is that it is a there is a huge amount of seriousness of the work. So so Pastor Michael is taken very seriously in what he's endeavoring to do, but there is no one here like no one's impressed. There's no one yeah. like there is no sense of like heroism in in either Pastor Michael or the or the Presbytery or even the men who are in many ways very successful in the Presbytery or uh, the senior pastor here who is a man who deserves to be respected and has done a lifetime of ministry right and I and I think it you just you can you sense the difference once you leave the world of internet pastors and you just enter into this kind of historic tradition of Christianity. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's noticeable. And it, as I listened to it, I just thought it was noticeable. And this kind of brings us to the last thing we're going to talk about in this episode that, you know, we're going to skip the meltdown of Driscoll's wild arrogance on a trip in Turkey where he's staying in a, a once in a lifetime resort and everyone else is staying in a flea bag hotel. And they actually mentioned he didn't really know what he was talking about in these places. And I'll actually say this, that I always wondered to myself, it, it, it kind of at the beginning of when he started preaching through Luke towards the end, this is for true, we'll call them true Driscoll heads. If you know about this, the content quality seemed to go down in his, what he was preaching, the like, the thoughtfulness, and again, it's funny that, I, that I'm calling Driscoll thoughtful, but that the, the quality seemed to go down. And, and the indication and that the revelation, the letters of revelation come after that, I almost guarantee this, this fame caused this kind of almost laziness in mm -hmm. study and stuff. And I do think it's noticeable yeah. in his content. Interesting. Um, but sorry, that's, that's a, that's a total sidebar. I don't know if I should cut that, but that's just something that like, for me, it literally clicked. I was like, no, I, I remember when I quit listening to Driscoll, not because I was like, well, this guy's such a jerk. I was like, no, it's just, I didn't know if he was worse or I just grew up. And I used to think it was probably, I just grew up and maybe it was a little both yeah, really. Right. But the question they have to ask about the YRR, they have to ask about Tim Keller, John Piper, Colin Hansen even is. I mean, is it is it their fault? And so let's listen to what they say, and then Pastor Michael can give his thoughts. You could look at TGC, you could look at church planting, you could look at contextualization, and you could say, well, gosh, we should blame Tim Keller for Mark Driscoll. Well, the thing is, though, they're from totally different generations and different experiences. And so Tim publishing books at age 58, he'd come through like his formative nine years of ministry experience were starting at a church in Hopewell, Virginia, the chemical capital of the South, where he had only two people in the entire church who had graduated from college, and they were elementary school teachers. That's his formative ministry experience for nine years. Before he got that job, which was a three-month trial test, he and Kathy had taken the U.S. civil service exam to become postal workers. I mean, that's a different world. So you can say, well, see... 
Tim had included this sort of this ministry that included Mark, and it was all about church planting in major cities, and see, that's what he produced. Well, Tim Keller didn't have to grow up with the internet. I think it's pretty clear that Mark... So, Pastor Michael, that is Colin Hansen explicitly coming to the defense specifically of Tim Keller, very interestingly. That is really interesting that, like, that is... It seems very defensive almost. It does. You know, I, I just want our listeners to know that just like Robert Schuler, Tim Keller paid his dues and deserved his meteoric rise. Right. We so so Pastor Michael, what what do you think? Do you think that there is uh maybe responsibility that should be taken by the the TGC crowd? Because or in this case, again, I, it was just weird that. We're going to talk specifically about Tim Kelt, probably because of his emphasis on church planning, large cities. I mean, Driscoll and Tim Keller were very much involved in the same groups. Those two were, for a PCA pastor and a non-denominational guy, the amount of the the two of them that there was the amount of crossover actually probably was really high. Yeah. Yeah, so this is where it gets weird because, like, yeah, you could try to throw shade at Keller and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Keller knew more than, you know, and he could have done more or something like that. But I do tend to agree that, like, to try to toss this on someone like Keller, who by and large has shown himself to be a very faithful, like, man, like in his ministry, like overall, like there's been, you know, a, a lot of benefit from it, a lot of good from it, and seems to be much more like, much more consistent over time. Now, you know, now, maybe Pastor Michael, some pretty bad tweets lately. <laughs> Pastor Michael, you know, <laughs> you host a podcast that is fairly known for laughing at a clip I, I of Tim Keller uproariously. This. See, this is the fact, though. I can say I have unbelievable respect for someone like Tim Keller and also laugh at a clip where he and D.A. Carson, who I also have tremendous respect for, just refuse to answer the question what Paul means when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. And they just say, it means something. Okay, so I can laugh about that and also have a lot of respect for them. It's, you know, different context. If I ever like met Tim Keller in person, by the way, I'm not going to be like, hi, Mr. Keller. Uh, what was that clip all about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I won't even bring it up. Uh, and, you know, anyway, uh, it is true. It is the like the generational difference is maybe a thing, but I don't know if that's as much as like the the slow careful faithfulness that led to where Tim Keller ended mm. up, that is tremendously different. It just is. Um, it's, it's a very different uh, kind of way. And also probably a little bit of the personality, probably there's like, there's all kinds of stuff that you could point to that like would differentiate uh, these, these things. And when we start talking about like how to, like how to attribute blame, there is, there's something, right? When it comes to like TGC, uh, like really coming out and really backing Driscoll hardcore. Mm -hmm. And then they're not being a lot of like, T now TGC does like they, they print some of the first, you know, articles that are like big and well-known that are like, Hey, maybe we should think about like cutting Driscoll out. They, like, maybe we should think about Driscoll being like, he needs to change somehow. Mm -hmm. So they did publish some of those later on, not a lot, very little, um, and they definitely, you know, were gatekeepers against those who were warning these things much earlier. Like, oh, John MacArthur. Like John MacArthur. Yeah, Phil Johnson. Phil jo yeah. Right. So um, there's definitely some of that. Um, however, the difficulty just comes in, there is no actual, like, ecclesiastical right. tie. Yeah. So Tim Keller literally has no authority over Mark Driscoll. Now, could he play have played a role of saying, hey, TGC, that I'm like very much a part of it because I helped found, found it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, maybe we should not prop this guy up because I'm a little concerned about that, but also he probably was not actually that involved. Right. I mean, on the ground level, he provided support early on. He's not the one that's doing all the editing and all of that. Let's actually compare this to uh, John MacArthur who kept Driscoll out of together for the gospel. Yeah. Who, who that's how he used his uh, huge amount of influence. Interesting. Yeah. Now, you know, as you saying, uh, TGC not offering maybe a full apology for this. I don't think we can come up with any example of TGC not apologizing for something that maybe requires <laughs> apology. Let me say this. Pastor Michael, we've talked a lot about branding. What would you say the brand Christianity Today is going after becoming with this podcast? Wow, that's a good question. Um, there is definitely a distinct, I mean, when we talk, we've talked about like the kinds of guests that are brought on, right? So the, 
who, who do we have that are brought on as like, these are the people, the experts that we want to talk to. You have one of the most well-known ex-evangelicals. You have, you know, uh, the Jesus and John Wayne lady. Um, so like, like people who are like trying to deconstruct what they see as American Christianity, specifically conservative Christianity. Um, you have uh, people that are, are uh, you know, focused on, you know, constantly writing and talking about abuse in the church or these like we you know we talked about the enneagram guy or like so more like uh sociological issues not that abuse is purely a sociological issue but there is a trend right now in just talking about abuse in every sector uh which is probably in part because there is abuse everywhere right, right? so i'm not i'm not trying to completely rule that out right um, the, although there are the, mean, the academic focus of it is different than the existence of it right yes. those two things are need to to be distinguishable. Yep. Yep. So like, but you know, basically what we're talking about is those who are basically working to deconstruct what the American church is while many of them, not all of them, while Christianity today, I think would want to say they're like with those people, but still in the church. Right. Yep. So they're like the, like, they're the cool friend of the person that's left the church. They're, they're like, you know, I'm not going to, right now anyway dye my hair and like get all the tattoos and piercings but all my friends are doing it and i think it's cool you know like it's it's this weird like i'm trying to defend those people they're my priority and so we're going to go after you know whoever else is is uh uh kind of what what do those people not like about the church mm. i'm also going to criticize that and probably again best spin possible so that I can win them back so that right. they will come back or they will like the church again or, or whatever it is. We got to do the damage control from yeah. Driscoll's damage, horrendous. Yep. So run. we are, in other words, like we are the people that are for the like weak, powerless, abused, like we're helping them and trying to get them back in the church. I think that's the nicest spin I could put on that, the kind of brand that it seems like they're going for here. Well, thanks for listening to Restless, going back to the Mars Hill podcast. Pastor Michael, if Restless was a brand, what would we be? Oh, we would be, who, who is it? You've, you've said this before. Somebody called us the confessionally reformed car talk. I love it. I actually love this. I think this is how we should brand and what we should be. Uh, that just sounds the most fun to me.